0: The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn
1: Beck. Well, the attack order came down late Friday night. The U.S., France, Britain launched a total of 105 missiles at three chemical weapons facilities deep inside of Syria explosions could be seen could be heard inside the syrian capital capital of damascus with coalition firepower making really a mockery of syrian air defense we're gonna shoot them all down yeah you didn't you didn't even see it coming here's how the attack went down uh while syria scrambled to hide their military hardware within the safety of the russian bases all eyes went to the growing u.s naval built buildup in the mediterranean One Russian admiral even threatened to fire a torpedo at the uh, USS Donald Cook, uh, which was parked alongside the uh, USS Winston Churchill. Now, both destroyers appeared to be holding the fort until the cavalry, or or in this case, the Armada, arrived. But it was all a ruse. The attack order was given, and U.S. naval ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf went into action. At the same time, B-1 bombers launched from Qatar began dropping air launch cruise missiles that are state-of-the-art. They've never been used before in combat. And it was a masterstroke in precision and modern warfare and exactly what you would expect from somebody like uh, Defense Secretary Mattis. So, what happened? Well, after a near uh, nearly a week of uh, the coalition threatening a possible strike and an equal amount of time hearing Russia threaten grave consequences... We're left with a few realities. First of all, I mean, it was cool. It was, it was cool to see that, you know, we, we, uh, we fooled them and uh, cool to see the new technology. But it was impressive on that level. But it's not going to stop Assad from killing his own people. It won't scare Russia and Iran from supporting him. And both the U.S. and Russia came out kind of looking silly in this whole story because we're fighting like schoolchildren at the U.N., um, and the hard reality is, both of us really don't have uh, the motivation or the balls to go all in when it comes to Syria, and that's a good thing. For several days after the April seventh chemical attacks, the West went all Wyatt Earp, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't Wyatt Earp, you know, with a with an English accent. I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. Then Russia barked back as if they were Curly Bill, and, uh, and really nothing happened. At the end of the day, our attack was minimal. It was borderline symbolic, and for Russia, they got their bluff called and got punked in front of the entire world. But both countries are not willing to go to the mattresses in Syria. And again, that's a good thing. Now, Russia has threatened a response, but I think you can take it to the bank that that response is going to come in the form of a cyber attack. So that could be problematic when and where it happens is anybody's guess. But that is Russia's main strike weapon. It will be fought with ones and zeros. Meanwhile, the real war in the Middle East continues to build. And the real war is... Iran's biggest goal in being in Syria to encircle Israel. The longer Assad stays in power, the larger the Iranian presence will be on Israel's border. And that is what the world and the media should be watching. The Israelis are going to be forced to strike. Russia and the U.S. don't have a dog in the Syria fight. But for Israel and Iran, Syria is everything. And this is the fight we must watch. The coming Iranian-Israeli conflict could and will affect the entire world. We pray for Israel today and pray that our leaders and our media and our fellow citizens are keeping their eye on the ball.
2: It's Monday, April 16th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
1: So the reaction was uh, interesting, to say the least, on this Syria thing. I thought it was a yawn fest. It was kind of like, you remember when we had uh, shock and awe? And it was like, oh, shock and awe. Man, it's going to be Operation Shock and awe. It's going to be the full force and might of the United States military. And then it happened, you're like, yeah, that that was interesting. It's possible things like Independence Day have, uh, have skewed our, yes, <laughs> our impression yes, yes.
3: of the U.S. military. Yeah. Have you bit.
1: ever seen Darkest Hour? It's much better. <laughs>
3: okay, this <laughs> not is not really a real. movie. These are yeah. real things happening <laughs> yeah, right, to people. Right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, uh, they hit three sites. Right. So, I mean, this was not a. I saw the before and after pictures. You were impressed. I wasn't. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, there's some potentially impressive things about the technology. Yes, that are yes. You know, okay, h- how right. precise the missiles are. However, yes. th- whether that is, you know, that doesn't necessarily say anything about yeah. the the scale of it. I mean, again, what they they themselves are saying: look, mm-hmm. we we hit three targets. Mm-hmm. We told everybody in advance we were going to hit uh, chemical weapons outlets. All the information is that, you know, they were able to move a lot of the stuff outside and bring it to Russian bases. We talked about that last week mm-hmm. so that they would make sure that it wouldn't uh, be destroyed. So, I mean, is it it's it's another message, right? It, they, they, the Trump administration did a, you know, sent a message uh, last year, which, uh, you know, apparently they did not listen to. And now we're going to try another one that was a little
1: bit bigger. Can I ask can I ask you a question? What is the message? I'm assuming you saw this because this was big news, at least in my house. What was the message that Alex Jones was uh, sending? Well, I think the most
3: important message, as always, when it comes to uh, Infowars, Mm -hmm. uh, he's always going to focus on the most important message. Yeah, it was a very um, emotional day at Infowars. Yes. And I would say this is the this is my top story of today. Is it? It is.
1: Yeah, this is, a, this is a good one. This is a good one. Not my top story, but it is a good one. Uh, here is, um, uh, first of all, Alex Jones was very upset that we went to uh, a missile strike in Syria. Uh, and first, can we have the one that has about six words in it that you're allowed to hear?
3: Oh, yeah. This is uh, Alex Jones yelling uh, as he responds to Syria strikes.
4: Answer, okay. nobody f- here in this World. See, not
3: I'm pissed right now. Okay, hold on. We need to stop time. for a second. They hold on one second. Hey, hold on one second. Here, because to set this up, he's not actually on the air here. It's important to know that he is broadcasting he's doing like a Twitter live feed. Mm-hmm. So this is not his actual show. Mm-hmm. He has just turned on the feed and mm-hmm. is off the air mm-hmm. talking about Syria mm-hmm. as it comes down. Now if you if you don't if you don't follow these things and why would you? But if you don't follow these things, the the conspiracy angle here it has been since the beginning that Donald Trump is right for not being quote-unquote tough on Russia, which I don't mm-hmm. even think you can say anymore. Mm-hmm. But it, Donald Trump is right for not being tough on Russia because Russia are the good guys. Russia are the people who are in there. They're the ones who are
1: fighting ISIS... They're the ones who are doing all all the right stuff. We're doing the wrong stuff. Yeah. So, so th- this is the, this is the one reason why I'm playing this because I mean I know I know you and Pat have like a club where you get together I think every Tuesday and just play clips. So um, fun. <laughs> but I I just I don't I don't I don't I don't subscribe to that. Yes, uh, you do. Bull crap. You certainly you most not, not as muchly do. We're like like an hour one break one. And you're letting me play this. Yeah. yeah you yeah. must enjoy. it. No, no. This I enjoy. Okay. This one I enjoy. Um. Uh because he's he's out of his mind nuts, but also I think it's important to sh- to show and there are uh, there are other sites that I have read in the past that I'm reading now and I'm like, I think these are Russian operatives. I mean uh, it is so clear that we are the bad guys and that Russia is the good guy mm-hmm. and Putin in particular is the good guy that it, it, it it's remarkable. So here he is. On a tirade, of uh, being so angry that we would betray our Russian allies. Mm-hmm. Listen,
4: they fought Al Qaeda, they fought ISIS, they fought it all, and now you got Mattis and all these people all over us, and the liberal fascists censoring us everywhere. In the last two days, we did an emergency thirty-six hour broadcast trying to stop this that could lead to World War Three, and you. Liberal pieces of f- you f- f- support this. F- you you f- <laughs> f- degenerate f- and f- Mueller and f- Comey and f- you. <laughs> Every major analyst. Mm-hmm. See, I shouldn't even be on there right now. Every analyst agrees you, you, that this uh, could trigger World War III, unlike anything in our history. And the Russians were the good guys battling ISIS and Al-Qaeda. I'm not a Russophile. I've never been to Russia. But I've studied the geopolitics. They are the white knights. And our military oh, five my. years ago joining the Russians to block Obama and the Arab Spring and do the right thing, did the right thing. And now, Mattis and Mattis looks like a <laughs> emperor Palpatine. When that knows full well Al Qaeda and ISIS
1: staged all those chemical attacks, and now they're blaming it on the. Wow. Okay. So stop. 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 I can't take it. It, That's how. That's how. That's how deeply some Americans are are marrying in to the Russian storyline. That yeah. That uh, that uh, that Russia chemical attacks were staged. Staged that we knew it. And that we are the bad guys. And that Russia, Russia, the good guys. Now, play the second clip where he breaks down. Now, this is him (laughs) on the air where he breaks down and he's sitting next to, I don't know, somebody else, uh, some guester, And the guy is just looking like deer (laughs) in the headlights, like, I don't know what to do here. Uh, But listen to this. It's the opposite of what my
4: ex-wife says. She says, you know oh, the system took the kids away from me. No, you got the kids back because of who I was part of the time. And then they sit there and they're like, you know, if you just turn against Trump, things will be better. But he was doing good, and that's what makes it so bad. Oh, and that's what makes it so bad. If he'd have been a piece of crap from the beginning, it would be so bad. But we made so many sacrifices. (laughs) And now he's crapping all over us makes me sick
3: (laughs) so but by the way stunning update in case you didn't know the man you just heard in those last two clips lost his custody battle yeah yeah it's a real shocker Uh, (laughs) because
1: of who you are sometimes his wife says that's what he says yeah because of who you are sometimes uh no i think it's who you are all the time yeah uh Uh, that's not this is not a mentally healthy person no and he is turning on trump because trump is betraying him with russia that's that's phenomenal that's phenomenal coming from an american i was going to say broadcaster but whatever he is that's truly phenomenal and as as dangerous as anything that the weather underground was doing i mean this is now an operative just like the weather underground and some in the 60s were operatives for Russia back then and spreading all the praise and glory to you know Lenin now it's just Putin I mean the Russians are the white knights I
3: mean what an incredible world he must live in to believe that the Russians are the white knights
1: coming up in a few minutes we have an incredible, incredible show. We have three people coming up that I just can't wait to talk to talk to. One of them is um, it, it was a Disney princess. Remember, Planned Parenthood came out and said, we need a Disney princess that, that has had an abortion. Well, she was a Disney princess and she did have an abortion. And she said it was the biggest mistake of her life. So, Planned Parenthood, you want a Disney princess that's had an abortion? We have her coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, Also, Amy Chua, she is um, the author of a book, Political Tribes. This is really fascinating. She believes pretty much, I I think, um, pretty much the way I do, that we are just separating ourselves in tribes, and we have to come together because it's what's made us unique from many. One, E Pluribus Unum. Well, she's written an interesting book that explains to the left, I think using their language, who we are on the right and how Trump supporters really felt and really feel and how we need to understand that to be able to come back to each other, how we come together coming up in about 45 minutes and in our three. Uh, Greg Gay, or his, his name now is Greg Barrett, but his legal name is Greg Gay. He is the guy in Houston that says the school superintendent of the Katy Independent School District has no place talking about bullying because he was a horrible bully himself. This is going to be a fascinating interview coming up in hour number three. Right now let me tell you about filter by. Filter by. If if um you have really bad allergies, one of the best things you can do is change the filter in your house because it's filtering all that gunk out of the air. When was the last time that you changed the air filter? If you are if you're you know an employer, when was the last time your building changed the air filter? I want you to I want you to think about um The employees that you have or your kids, I've been trying to get my son who has horrible allergies. I've been trying to get him to go to the doctor to get shots um, because it's the best thing that I've ever done for for my allergies. He won't do it. Okay. What about the filter in the house? The filter in your house can make all of the difference in the world. And FilterBuy is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses because they make it easy for you to improve the quality of the air that you breathe. Plus, they save you money because it reduces the wear and tear on your HVAC system. Now, when they say small businesses, I can't imagine a bigger HVAC system than what we have. Have you seen our HVAC system in this building? We have ninety thousand square feet, and this. This this monster in the back and uh, and filter by actually makes the air filters for us. They're all made here in America and ship for free within 24 hours. And you can also set up auto delivery and save five percent because I always forget you'll never need a reminder again, which normally comes in the form of itchy eyes and sneezing or a huge repair bill for your system with over 600 sizes available, including custom options. There's nobody that can help you more than filter by that's filter. B U uh, filter,
0: Glenn Beck, Mercury. back
1: some sad news today about barbara bush uh she's in comfort care uh not doing well she's a a great lady and our prayers are with the bush family uh today so who came in with us and who was against us on the syria thing
3: well it's interesting list of countries supporting the syria strikes the u.s uk france germany turkey saudi arabia qatar qatar uh canada japan spain australia israel denmark bahrain italy poland mm. oppose the syria strikes mm-hmm. the syrian regime <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, All not right. a shocker there yeah. Uh, yeah. they did not like this yeah russia iran china iraq venezuela algeria lebanon and hamas Hamas did wow. not support this action.
1: So what are we doing? Wow. I mean, that should tell you if you think if you think that you're on the right side of this yeah, and you are siding with Russia, look at the company you're keeping.
3: Syria, Iran, China, Iraq, Venezuela, Algeria, Lebanon, Hamas. Wow. I mean, that is not you don't want them on your team. <laughs> it's not the that's not the side that is going to it's not going to play out well.
1: Wow. Has it ever? Uh No. Uh, no, it has. No, it is not. Uh, we are. Um, uh, first of all, we're going to get down to the hate for Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you've if you've heard this, uh, but uh, Chick-fil-A is just uh, I mean, it's a hate group. It's clearly and I can explain. I can explain why they're killing all those chickens. I mean, let you me can. Just, let me just say this. OK, Peter, do I need to say more
3: yeah a good amount more yeah that's just one name you can't
1: tie peter to the chick-fil-a sandwiches (laughs) why are they killing all the chickens what what happened peter was minding his own business he was fine jesus was everything was going great and then a chicken three times and what happens damn right it was the chickens It was the chickens that pulled that whole thing down. Damn right, might be the right way to say that. <laughs> you uh, think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't. I still can't come up with the why the pickles are on the bun, uh, but uh, I know there is some religious indoctrination going on there with Chick Fil A. We'll get to that coming up in a little that while.
3: That is a strange choice,
1: is it not? Pickles the, on a chicken sandwich. I, you know, I do, I do, I do think it's like that. The reason why we're bringing this up is because there's a Christian infiltration mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. with Chick-fil-A. Thank you. Um, and uh, some people up in the Manhattan area are very concerned about the Christian infiltration. The country's on the side
3: of the of seeing it as a uh, Christian infiltration. Iran, Syria, Iraq, <laughs> <the public's laughs> Hamas.
2: Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
1: So a few weeks ago, um, Planned Parenthood came out with a, with a with a tweet that said, we need a Disney princess that has had an abortion. Now, I just, you I know, I'm just thinking that maybe we shouldn't go down that road. Uh, but, you know, that's me. Well, Deanna Falchuk, she is, um, uh, she's a woman who was a Disney princess. She played Cinderella in the, I believe, Orlando Park for quite a while. Thought she was in love, got pregnant, and I'll let her tell the story. Um, but um, she is a Disney princess that, that had an abortion. And so uh, Planned Parenthood, here's your dream come true. Let's go to Deanna. Hi, Deanna. How are you?
5: Hi, Glenn. I'm doing great. Thanks.
1: Um, you know, I've, I've read your story, and it's, Uh, truly remarkable. Can you, can you kind of outline the story about, you know, you were 22 years old, you're working at Disney. This is your dream job. And what happens?
5: Mm -hmm. I was actually 18 and I um, was fortunate enough to get this very exclusive job as a singer in the, in the theme park at Disney world. And what I did was I sang, you know, Cinderella and and Sleeping Beauty. And um, I loved being there and, but shortly after that I started dating this guy who was 22 and I ended up becoming pregnant. And if, you know, I made the the decision to have an abortion and unexpectedly was immediately devastated and ended up continuing to go back onto the stage, trying to sing happy song and um, dance. And about seven months later, I just couldn't, take it anymore. And I just, I was devastated. And so I ended up quitting the job that I loved and breaking up with the guy and basically falling into a puddle, just trying to reconcile my decision. But the one thing that I'll have to say is that the reason why this tweet really bothered me was because I really believed that part of my decision-making process was based on old rhetoric and product propaganda that, that, um, Planned Parenthood is used for ages, and in my case, it was this anti mother messaging. When I was a child, I wanted desperately to be a mom, but the messages that I constantly got back were, you know, you can be anything you want. Why would you want to be just a mother? And, you know, you have to wait till you become a mother, till everything's in line. And this is basically a strategic uh, uh, messaging. And so the people who were telling me that, it wasn't even their original thought, these were things that had been written through Margaret Sanger and other people that were trying to champion this uh, pro-woman but anti-mother messaging. And so when I heard the tweet, I was like, oh no, uh-uh, not again. So, I mean, it's, you know, not, De- not our princesses.
1: <laughs> Deanna, it is it is the part of your story that really connected with me, um, because uh, as a dad, I have heard my daughters struggle with that. I have heard my daughters um, uh, say that. I mean, one of my daughters wanted to get married, you know, while she was in college and she wasn't going to. And I said, why? Why wait? There's nothing better than marriage. When you found the right person, there's nothing better. And she said, dad, I mean, you just don't get married when you're my age. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's I mean, look at everybody will look down. And in fact, her mm-hmm. professors when she said because I just said to her, I can't believe my daughter just said this to me. There's nothing better if you believe he's the one, get married. And uh, so she right. did. And her professor just looked down on her when she said, hey, I'm not going to be here next week because I'm going to be getting married. The professor looked at her and said, oh, uh, wow. Okay. And this was a a Catholic university. <laughs>
5: Yeah, and the thing is, you know, like I said, we think these are our original thoughts, but even what your daughter was saying, I mean, this has been written up on, like, when we should have children, when we should... Form families, how many children we should have. I mean, there's a baby code written by Margaret Sanger. She wrote in the wickedness of, this is her title, the wickedness of creating large families. And she says the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its members is to kill it. I have a large family now. I mean, I've been redeemed through this, but what you're saying regarding your daughter is very true. We think that we're, you know, that these are our thoughts, but we're really being inundated with, you know, strategic messaging that's going to tell us um, when good is evil and, you know, evil is good. When it's not even true, we have to really get, you know, start to think independently as to why we're thinking these things. And then so for them to say, let's create a princess that, you know, has had an abortion, it made me think that they're conspiring around a table trying to think to rewrite these amazing stories that are, have been really positive for women to to persevere through unplanned situations in their lives, to battle and slay dragons in order to accomplish things. When things are unplanned and unexpected, that they fight through it. And at the end of the day, they they become victorious and find their their destiny at the top of the castle. And so we don't need to rewrite things that, you know, women can just um, discontinue or or not push through and battle that's that creates strength and resilience and true powerful power and empowerment to be able to look at life and say let's 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 move through this together and let's get through this and that's what we learn from our princesses
1: and you should be learning from the princess the prince as <laughs> if you will uh, that yeah. uh, that they also do the same, and the guy you were yeah. dating was was not acting as a prince,
5: no, so he you know basically knew where I could get my problem taken care of and
1: is that what he said you to
5: know, you? At the time yeah, pretty much, and so I just you know was lost i didn't really know what to do, and I ended up. You know, making this decision, and then you know, as I'm, you know, curled up in a ball crying, um, he's out there playing, you know, games, you know, video games and that type of thing. But I mean, what you said about the prince, it's very true. I think there's, those characters have been bashed a lot too. And um, the truth is, is that the prince came down off of the castle to find, you know, an orphan girl in the cinders with Cinderella. So there's a lot of redeeming and amazing traits with these princes that we can learn from, but you know, it's, it's, that's not often told. There's it a lot is, of bashing in these stories.
1: It is amazing to me that um, that, that that stories like Cinderella are completely uh, they're they're completely changed in some regard. We only focus on the fact that uh, the prince came and rescued her, but he actually didn't. She was right. amazingly strong the entire time. I mean, she <laughs> she battled her way through an uh, you know, obviously death in her family, uh an an awful stepmother. She made the best of things and was the strongest in the movie, not the prince. The prince fell in love with her, I think, because she was strong. <laughs> and yet that's not the message that we are told Cinderella is about.
5: No. No, and it's so true. We see the sparkly icon with, you know, the glitter, and but what, what I'm, t- I'm writing a story, a book called The Cinderella Mindset, and the one thing that I talk about, I, I really focus on the fire, on her being in the fire and persevering through that. Like, even though the evil stepmother and stepsisters are like, you're not going, they're basically trying to steal her destiny, she calls upon supernatural favor. I see it as the Holy Spirit, and it, and and yet she's she makes her way into that place into the castle and she demands her happily ever after. And so, you know, you can interpret it one way or you can you know, you can continue to princess bash, which is what they've always done and now they want to get into the game. They want to they want to take the identity of the princesses that they've been bashing and try to make their agenda which is more similar to the evil that is told in these stories. It's not going to work. <laughs>
1: Deanna, as you um, after you had your abortion and you are on stage and you're singing about someday, my prince will come and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, And you know that the guy you thought was a prince is is there working uh, at, Mm -hmm. you know, right there. That had to be mentally uh, exhausting.
5: Glenn, I mean, it was grueling. It was devastating, the emotions swirling around in your mind, you know, but I was even at the age of 18, a professional, so I continued to dance and sing, but that was what, you know, I realized I couldn't, you know, it was just like this fake smile, and to try to Push through your smiles and and being the great Disney employee that I was. I mean, Disney to this day is one of my favorite places. I mean, we live right here. But, um, yeah, it was devastating, and that's why I ended up walking away from the castle, which, by the way, represented for me personally massive success because I always loved Cinderella's, you know, story. And I had my own personal story as a child of really having struggles and believing these stories and the lyrics of the songs. And then so there I am, leaving my dream place. But there, there was a happy ending. I went on to get married. Um, I gave birth to two children. One, I, I ended up conceiving when I went to, back to Disney like the, for the first time. Um, and that was a, a miracle story. So God kept redeeming me and redeeming the story. And then I went on to adopt five children. Wow um one from guatemala who was born to a 14 year old girl and if we had followed you know planned parenthood's um <laughs> you know oh. list of who should or should not have kids she would not have been born because her mother was 14 three children who watched their mother die of aids um you know and then one child who was labeled invalid in the ukraine oh my god um just for his uh, yeah and, and abandoned at at 2 days old And they were about to transfer him to a a place where they told us that he would have been dead within six months if had we not come when he was five years old about being transferred. So our lives have been redeemed. And I've learned from his experiences of persevering to adopt these children because it has not been easy. It's been a battle. And then parenting them and seeing what the orphan mindset has been like and teaching them about they can do anything and they can, you know, rise to great places um, so I've learned, I've been refined into, you know, a strong woman of God. And yet I've learned, I brought them to Disney to live near Disney. Cause I can, I wanted to live here so that they could hear those messages. So, and so I but, want them to know that dreams can come true.
1: We're talking to Deanna Chuck. She is, um, she was a former Disney princess, uh, that had an abortion. So she's exactly what, uh, Planned Parenthood is saying there. Uh, Looking for, although I don't think that they would agree with that message. Um, Real quick, Deanna, um, can you can you talk to the people who were like you that are are confused and and afraid and just kind of going down this path? And it's because you don't have a child when you're so young. You don't have a child when whatever, whatever gets you into the Planned Parenthood office. Can you speak directly to them?
5: Yeah. First off, I would just say that you're not alone and, you know, don't feel isolated. Um, Speak to somebody. There are many, you know, pregnancy um, centers that want to help. But philosophically, I'd like them to understand and to really break down their thought process. And I would tell them that they have a sacred gift to create and never to underestimate the power of what gifts can be received by walking through the so-called mistakes or messes of your life. Move forward, choose to make something beautiful from the unplanned and unexpected surprises that come into your life. They aren't always there to take you out. Sometimes they're there to refine you, stand tall, walk through the fire and you will come out on the other side, sparkling bright in your predestined position. Um, and probably enveloped with your miracle around you and so I would just
1: go ahead I would just I would
5: just say yes and I would just move forward and and, and say and choose life
1: Deanna thank you so much God bless
3: Deanna Falchuk wrote this for the uh, Federalist and we'll uh, tweet that out from that world of Stew and at Glenn Beck uh, her Twitter account is uh, at Deanna Falchuk it's uh, definitely worth a read. It's a, it's a pretty
1: amazing story and 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 a brave telling of it. Also, the author of "To Be a Mother." All right, I want to tell you a little bit about Simply Safe. Last two weeks, Simply Safe has won the Editor's Choice Award from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and Wirecutter. I've been telling you for a while this is an amazing product, cutting edge technology, and now it's been recognized by the uh, industry. Uh, Simply Safe was put through a battery of tests, and they were comparing uh, or compared to all other security products for your house. And Simply Safe won every time. Simply Safe, in my opinion, and now I'm I'm joined by some people who actually have credentials. It's the best home security system hands down. I've worked with the founders. I've known them since they've had two employees or ten employees. Now I think they have six hundred employees and protect. 2 million Americans this is home security that you want in your home this is home security at its best and unbelievably to use, uh, unbelievably easy to use and also unbelievably inexpensive this isn't a gadget it's comprehensive protection for all of your windows your doors your entire home and your family 24 hours a day 365 a year and their professional monitoring is 15 dollars a month not 50 $15 a month. No one else is doing this. You'll see why the experts is, have picked them as the best in home security at simplysafebeck.com. Save a buttload of money at simplysafebeck.com. Take 10% off now at simplysafebeck.com.
0: Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck.
1: Welcome to it. Glad you're here. Thank you so much for um, listening today. We have uh, we have um, a couple of things. The hatred for Chick Fil A is has has gone into insanity. It really has. It's gone into some sort of uh, mental disorder. Uh, we'll have that coming up. Also, Amy Chua, she is uh, um, the author of a book called Political Tribes: Group Instinct and the Fate of Nations, and she describes America. And she's she's really pegged us on what's made us different, what's made us, honestly, better than other other countries, been able to pull together, and what's happening to us now. And she's written it, I think, so the left will understand who we are. She's coming up next.
2: Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage.
0: Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck
1: Out of all of the infuriating things about America right now there is one that rests high above towers over all the others Of course I don't even need to say it you can say it with me it is of course the looming problem of terrorism No Chick-fil-A oh. Chick-fil-A Okay, remember, uh, the late founder of this restaurant chain had the audacity to believe in the American dream. (laughs) Wow. Now, imagine the audacity of Truett Cathy and his company, Cathy, and, and, and the audacity of his company to exploit America's free market system by making a good product that people actually want to buy. Imagine that. Then to slowly grow their business over several decades from a single family run restaurant to the third largest fast food chain in America behind McDonald's and Starbucks, providing hundreds of thousands of jobs along the way. How dare? How dare they? But I haven't even scratched the surface of the evil of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A remains closed on Sundays. As this as if this was still the Eisenhower era where it was common to believe in God or something. Now by closing on Sundays, Chick fil A is clearly preaching the Bible. Now I'm sure there I haven't been to Chick fil A lately, but I have done my homework here uh just in the last couple of days because the new yorker is very upset about chick-fil-a so i i haven't seen it myself but i am sure that they are checking your jesus card before you're allowed to place an order right no shirt no shoes no savior no service new new what backward hicks i mean we can't allow this to go on can we well we can in the south but now they've crossed the line okay Now they've dared to open four locations in Manhattan. Hello. Don't you realize that we have declared that island godless and you are not allowed to have pickles on your chicken sandwich uh, because we all know that is pointing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this tragedy, I... I read the description uh, uh, by uh, Dan Peipenberg, uh bring. He is he's uh, he's one of my favorite Pippenberger bring or something. I, I love all of his writings in The New Yorker. And he wrote over the weekend. Um, and, you know, I see his point. It's it's almost as as if Nazi recruitment centers had opened uh, in Manhattan. His article is titled Chick-fil-A's. Creepy infiltration of New York City. And that is the feeling I get from Chick-fil-A. Creepiness. You know what I mean? Especially cows. Cows with paintbrushes on billboards. how they get up there? how they get the... How do they hold the brush? It's that kind of creepiness that really is freaking me out. But that's not what he's talking about. He, of course, is talking about Chick-fil-A's, quoting, pervasive christian traditionalism man he says their headquarters in atlanta are adorned with bible verses and a statue of jesus washing a disciple's feet first of all whoa in new york uh, really no it's in atlanta but in new york you have to hear about stories about a statue of a jew Doing service to his fellow man? Oh, my gosh, all the humanity. Now, he says uh, that the Bible pound, pounding is uh, just below the surface at Chick-fil-A. To think that this poor man and other New Yorkers have to step inside one of these Jesus indoctrination chicken centers for this story assignment. I, I don't know how he did it. It's cruel and unusual punishment. This progressive has a problem with Chick-fil-A because its founder believed in something. Wow. Well, it doesn't sound very tolerant, and I'm sure the New Yorker... I mean, let's imagine that Wendy's founder, Dave Thomas, was a Muslim... Let me go further to the point of ridiculousness that we didn't know that Wendy had red hair or freckles because she had to wear a burqa and a headscarf. Now, do you think the New Yorker, even at that point of ridiculousness, would talk about the creepy indoctrination that is going on with Wendy's? No. They would celebrate the, diver- the, the diversity, wouldn't they? He wrote, There's something especially distasteful about Chick-fil-A, which has sought to portray itself as better than other fast food, cleaner, gentler, more ethical. Oh, my gosh. The worst thing that could happen is somebody trying to portray themselves as that. He's clearly freaked out that someone would dare integrate aspects of their faith and values in how they run their country their company i know it's not usually done i know we don't even usually take our faith and try to live by it in our day-to-day life but here's a company that shows yeah it can be done Typical of today's journalists, he never pauses to consider that perhaps those ingredients and not the colonel's secret herbs and spices, but these well-known ingredients are the reasons why Chick-fil-A lines wrap around the block. And yes, as creepy as it is, even in New York City, Batman...
2: it's monday april 16th you're listening to the glenn beck program
1: i am hoping that uh amy chua can spend some time with us today she has uh, written a book called political tribes group instinct and the fate of uh, nations she is the uh, uh the john duff professor of law at the yale law school school she graduated from harvard amy welcome to the to the program how are you
6: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me.
1: You bet. I, I don't know how much time you have, but uh, I would love to spend uh, as much time as you have. Your, your, I have
6: time. <laughs> okay.
1: your Your book is your book is um, great uh, because you you talk about the secret of America and how we're really kind of violating that now, uh, really strangely unknowingly. But you y- you you speak to both sides of the aisle, so we can kind of. Hear each other. It's not. It's not a book written from the left or from the right, and it's not. It's trying to speak the language of 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 both sides. And let's start with the essential goodness of America that you point you point out.
6: Right. So I'm not even trying to be both sides. I am just kind of going back. I think we all need to remember what it is that makes America special, and so I actually have spent 20 years studying different countries, countries in the developing world, you know, European countries. And believe it or not, there is something really special about America that I think most Americans don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And I say that we alone among the major powers, not France, not England, we are what I call a super group. And to be a supergroup, Glenn, it's really simple. You only need to do two things. The first is to have a really strong, overarching national identity, just something that holds us together, Americans. But the second requirement for a supergroup is we have to allow all different kinds of subgroup identities to flourish. So it's like, so in this country, you can be, you know, you can say, I'm Irish American, I'm Italian American, I'm... Croatian-American, I'm Japanese-American, and still be intensely patriotic at the same time. And believe it or not, this is not true in a country like France. Like, you wouldn't say, I'm Italian-French. <laughs> There's no right. such thing, you know. Th- th- so we, and right now, because of the tribalism that has taken over our political system, we're starting to destroy that. We're starting to destroy this connective tissue, this big overarching national identity that we have that is what's made us special. And, you know, your example, uh, you really about Chick-fil-A is also there, there's an attack on allowing individual subgroup identities to flourish, right. too. So it's a dangerous moment for
1: us. So you, you I, I thought this was really fascinating. And the, the, the most clear I've heard anybody state this, you're saying that a lot of these uh, wars that we have engaged in are unwinnable simply because those nations don't have a supergroup.
6: Exactly. So one thing that America has done, um, and so You know, my real field for 20 years has been, again, looking at foreign policy. And what I try to say is I explain why we have messed it up so much in countries from Vietnam to Afghanistan to Iraq. And a lot of it has to do with we don't realize how exceptional our own identity and history is. So we forget how unusual it is to be this multi-ethnic nation with so many different ethnicities and to have a really strong American identity. So, Glenn, why do you think Libya is now a failed state? We miss this. President Obama actually really honorably conceded this. He said, We failed to see the depth of the tribalism. They, Libya was a multi ethnic country like we are, 140 different ethnic groups. But the difference is that Libya didn't have a strong enough national identity. This idea of being a Libyan didn't matter to these people. And it just fell apart. It fell apart after we intervened, and we didn't see that. We thought, you know what, they're going to be like us. Yeah. If we just take out this horrible dictator, um, and then we leave and put in democracy, it's going to come together And it didn't happen. So So we project that we forget how special we are and we make mistakes by forgetting that other countries are not like us.
1: And it it seems in a sick sort of twisted way. We understood this uh, with our motivation behind the Sykes-Pico lines uh, and agreement uh, in the Middle East, where we drew these country lines, knowing that it would cause warring factions and the dictators would have would, would be be so busy trying to keep their own tribe together that right. they wouldn't have time to look out we we well, did yeah. know this at one point
6: well you know what's so funny the british were the masters of this actually because right. the british they um, i mean you know morally of course that's another question but how were they so successful in maintaining this empire for centuries with such a small number of people. I mean, just a handful of British administrators in places like India and the Middle East, exactly what you said. They were masters. They were so conscious of all these little group divisions, but they used it to divide. And you're right. You know, they, they were like, okay, how can we keep these people at bay? And they actually purposely pitted groups against each other. But we were not like that after we went to the world stage, you know, post world war two, we actually, um, Started to increasingly think of democracy as like this magic formula. You know, mm-hmm. that if we, if we, because democracy historically has worked so well for us. So for the idea, the us, we went into Iraq thinking, uh, Sunnis, Shias, Kurds, okay, it's kind of a mess, but let's just have some elections. And that was so wrong headed because what I've shown is that under certain conditions, democracy can actually worsen group conflict not sure. make it better
1: sure okay so i i want to go to um uh the part of the book where you talk about how the left isn't listening to the right and the right isn't listening to the left and you you describe especially for a professor I, I'm, I'm just shocked <laughs> that you're even allowed to teach um but uh see you, if i
6: get to go back <laughs> yeah
1: you yeah you 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 uh, describe what happened with the Trump voter and what's happening with the Trump voter and try to explain that to a person on the left. And I've not heard anyone in the media do this and and do it effectively as you did and what we're supposed to learn from this and how you describe the left to the right when we come back. The name of the book uh, is uh, Political Tribes. Amy Chua is uh, with us. Don't hold it against her that she's a Yale professor. Uh, She just said, I don't know how, I don't know if they're going to let her back in, but uh, it's it's a remarkable book. All right. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's LifeLock. Another big data breach uh, was in the news. Recently reported that uh, hackers stole information uh, for more than 5 million credit and debit cards used for in-store purchases at Saks Fifth Avenue, Saks Off Fifth, and Lord & Taylor stores some of the card information was put up for sale on the dark web as soon as the breach went viral there are so many threats in today's connected world and it only takes one week link and the criminals can get in and then they have you before you even know it this is why there's the new lifelock identity theft protection adding the power of norton security to help you protect against the threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you have a problem, they have agents that work to fix it for you. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code back for an additional 10% off your first year. That's promo code back for an additional 10% off at LifeLock.com
0: Glenn Beck, Mercury.
2: Glenn Beck.
1: Amy Chua, she is a, um, uh, an author of the book Political Tribes, Group Instinct, and the Fate of Nations. Um, in your book... You you talk about the left believes that the uh, right-wing tribalism, bigotry, racism is tearing the country apart. The right believes that left-wing tribalism, identity, politics, political correctness is tearing the uh, country apart. And they're both right. Can you explain?
6: Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm a kind of person that believes that people are basically good. <laughs> and that so many things that go crazy and that end up being awful and are now ripping us apart – Actually started off with good intentions um, that were positive things so for example let's start with the left progressives um, you know in the 60s and 70s a lot of their rhetoric was about equality and they had a very inclusive it was about let's let's include everybody let's transcend groups so that we don't see skin color but what happened is that right around in the 70s and 80s a lot of people on the left started thinking you know what? All these calls for let's not see groups, um, let's be equal, and all this are actually not helping us. And so you started to see people as a you know, minority screwing number. They're like, look at these histories that we're telling about the United States. We are romanticizing our founders. We're romanticizing the Constitution. We're romanticizing everything. And I, Glenn, I think that there's some good to that. It's like, let's, we should talk about the fact that our founders. Some of them held slaves. We do have to talk about our native populations. But what happened is they just started going way, way too far. So now if you fast forward to 2018, it's, it's all the way at the other extreme. It's like America is a land of oppression. It's not even, it's not just like, look, we have this wonderful constitution with these incredibly important principles, which we have repeatedly failed to live up to, which I believe... Instead, it's like this whole thing is a sham. The country is built yes. on white supremacy, and that is playing with poison because it's it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So that's one thing that's happened. It goes back to what I was saying is where... Where it's attacking that precious American identity, not saying we need to strive to make it better and to make it reality, but just saying, you know what, let's just throw the whole thing out. And with identity politics, another thing that's happened is, um, and again, I understand where the left came from. They were like, you know, all this group blind stuff is just being used to block affirmative action. It's just being used by the right to not let us make any changes. Well, fast forward, it's gone too far. In 2018 now, on a college campus where I teach, it's all about groups. If you try to be group transcending, you will immediately be called a racist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the idea is that you are trying to erase all the very individual examples of group oppression that we've had. But the problem is that the groups are dividing smaller and smaller and even worse than that, the idea is, like, you cannot understand me. You cannot speak for me. Um, and on top of that, the final thing that drives me craziest is the vocabulary policing. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, in the middle of the country who are not on these Ivy League campuses, they are goodwilled. They, they may be anxious about immigration. They may be anxious about our country changing You know, they may have certain views that I would disagree with, but that doesn't mean that they're racist and xenophobic and homophobic and whatever. But that's the way it goes right now. It's like if you don't say something exactly right or you don't toe the party line, you're immediately branded all these things. And what that does is it drives a lot of people more extreme underground, where there, I think, is a lot of horrible stuff on the right. And there you hear terrible things, you know. So, so, and it's this vicious cycle. So that's half of it. Okay.
1: So, so now let's go. When we come back, let's go to how do we fix it? Because I, Amy, you're one of the few people I have uh, talked to that I think fully understands the problem that we face, and you have a solution. Next,
2: Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn
3: Beck Program. We're talking to Amy Chua. She's the author of Political Tribes, Group Instinct, and the Fate of Nations. You also might remember her for, uh, from uh, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Oh, you know, that only sold about 25 zillion copies uh, a few years ago. Uh, so she joins us now. Amy's with us.
1: So, Amy, I I have to tell you, I, f- I feel like, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a brother from another mother with you. Um, yes. Beca- <laughs> because you're... You're um, you're so spot on on what the problem is, um, I think, with the political tribes and and how we are how we are um, one half of the country dismisses the other half. We dismiss, you know, the the one half of the country dismisses all of the good things that America did. The other half dismisses sometimes all of the bad things that America did. And we've just been pushed further and further apart so now how do we come together when we each think the other side is the problem
6: there are these fascinating but terrifying studies that I described that show that a lot of this is actually biological that human beings are tribal animals that we sure. we want it's, it's almost and that's not always bad. Family is very tribal but right. positive and, and you know we, we had to just to,
1: to survive exactly. you know pre- prehistoric man had to be.
6: Exactly. So, But there are some scary tests that show that our brains light up when we stick it to the other side. So there's a lot of this. But here's the good news. I have all these studies that show that we can, as human beings, overcome this tribalism. And there are all these very, very robust studies that show that if you can pull human beings out of their group context – because we're worse than with our buddies, you know. Yeah. Um, and make and you pull two people from opposite sides, opposite tribes, and have them interact as human beings. It is astounding how much progress can be made. Now, this is not saying just stick people in a room together. Because if you put a bunch of diverse people together of different races and backgrounds, they could just hate each other more. The point is having them interact as human beings. And the best example of this is the integration of our military in the 1950s. That was a time when everybody said, no way, this is not going to work. 90% of America was against integrating our military troops. But they did it, and afterwards they found that the integrated troops were as or more effective and the all-white troops. And when they interviewed and conducted all these studies, it was so inspiring. I mean, this is not just black and white. This is like at that time, Italian-Americans had mm-hmm. never really interacted with Swedish-Americans yes. and German-Americans. Yes. And, but what they said is, you know what, if you throw us all into the same foxhole or the same bunk and we, we miss our loved ones in the same way, we're terrified in the same way, and we have to trust our lives to this other person, we don't care what accent they have or what color their skin is, and that's a perfect example because norms really changed, and a lot of bad things happened in Vietnam, but one good thing is people start to see each other as human beings. So I have this one idea that a lot of people are excited about. It's going to sound silly, but like a public service program where you take a lot of children from, say, one part of the country where they're always with their own kind, their own privileged people on the coast or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe force, you know, encourage or, you know, have them go to another part of the country and work side by side with other young Americans on a common project. Not in a condescending way, like we're going to teach you, you know, but rather just some common infrastructure or some project together. So I think that we really have to think about this. I think we have to change the way we teach our history. I think we've overcorrected. Um, I mean, when you were saying bad Big and time. good, you know, uh, we, we have to tell the truth, but we have to make people feel proud of being part of this country and, and not forget what makes us so exceptional about it. But,
1: you know, I, I have to tell you, Amy, my, my daughter um, challenged me once. She said, Dad, you only know the good stories about um, America. And I said, honey, you've gone to school. You only know the bad stuff. Uh, And I said, I'll tell you what, you you read the good stuff, I'll read the bad stuff. And by really immersing myself in things like wounded knee and really truly understanding it, I've actually come out more hopeful that we can survive anything if we learn from it.
6: I could not agree with you more and what we, I think we're criticizing the same thing because, you know, there's a lot of pe- voices on both the right and the left. It's almost like they want to maintain those tribes. So if you, if I were to want to, if you're somebody on the left and you wanted to Go to Chick-fil-A or read something positive about George Washington. You're instantly branded by a lot of people. You're pulling. It's like you're not on our side anymore. You know, and the same thing happens on the right. If somebody on the right wanted to do, you know what, I want to go hear this person speak about Black Lives Matter. No, 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 you can't. And I I just think it's that because I I wrote this book because I actually have looked at other countries that have actually – fragmented and just broken up. And I Mm -hmm. think that America doesn't realize how precious what we have is. I see people on both sides saying, let's just get a divorce. Let's just break up the country, you know? And I think they just don't, they're playing with fire. And I understand that. Sometimes you just get so mad at the other side of what people are saying And then one extreme thing feels a more extreme reaction and it just escalates into a place where people are so So, hunkered at both
1: sides so amy i think what stops us from listening to the other side or 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 sitting down or or perhaps it's just saying that you're part of the problem if you do sit down is both sides feel and i i can speak for the for the right i think on this one is it feels like you know we'll sit down and we will tell you the truth but you know the left isn't going to tell us the truth of what their real intent is and i think there's a difference between the the average person in the country and those who are leading these you know these these groups um yeah. you know where B- I totally agree.
6: I, I, I think it's actually a lot of very loud, shrill groups. Even on a campus, I can say that if, you'll, you'll hear these things that, you know, the rest of America will hear about campus craziness, these crazy things that are said. But when I talk to my students in a, in a private setting, in a smaller group, I find that the majority of them, whether they're on the right or the left... Are actually very, mo- very reasonable. They may have strong views, but they don't want to demonize. But it's often like a very small number of people, almost like bullying, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but I think, like, for example, if just like what you just said about you're a very influential person. So if you just said, you know, I read this book about wounded knee or something. Try it. (laughs) You know, that's not a strident thing. It's not taking sides. And I think if even just a few people start to do that, and yes, I think the left is very problematic this way. You know, if somebody, it's what I often say is, look, maybe George Washington was a slaveholder, but that's not all he was. You know, it was an amazing story. It was amazing founding. There was so much heroism. And that's like a no-no. You can't say that right now. So So, so there's so much work to be done. And that's partly why I wrote this book.
1: So Amy, I I have to tell you, I I was in, I think it was Denver. Were you with me Stu? I think I I was. I was was in, I I think Denver. And I had just flown in and an uber picked me up and it was a um, uh, a guy who was uh driving the car and uh he was uh, a, a professor and he was a professor of native american studies uh and uh something else i can't remember what it was but everything everything in me went he hates your guts, Glenn. Uh, and, and I, you know, I would, you know, I was supposed to hate him, I think. But I started talking to him. And, um, and he was taking me to a, a broadcast station. And I could tell that he didn't really like me. Uh, and so we just started having a conversation. And I found out that he was from Wounded Knee that he had done a lot of his studies on wounded knee so we had this great conversation and he dropped me off at the station and i said wait wait here when i'm done i want to i want to show you something in the back of the car he didn't know this but i had one of the seven native american guns from wounded knee that had been collected wow Uh, and uh i told him when we got back in the car I said, I want to tell you something. I said, I don't know if you know who I am. And he said, oh, oh I do. <laughs> uh, and I said, uh, I said, let me tell you what I found about Wounded Knee. And I told him the story and I said, when we arrive, um, I want you to uh, open up the back. I have something to show you. And I pulled out the gun and I handed it to him and he ap- a- a- actually wept. He cried. Wow. And we hugged each other and we had a great conversation. And we ended up liking each other a lot. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. We just we saw each. I stopped seeing him as a as a professor and he stopped seeing me as a guy who talks politics. And we saw each other each as people.
6: I love that. I mean, that's what I was saying. It's like, I, I actually try to do that within my own classes. I have conservative students, believe it or not, they take my classes. And I have a lot of minority students, because I'm I, I'm a minority. And I try to do the same thing. I facilitate it. But I say that, you know, I love, I think we all need to elevate ourselves on both sides of the spectrum and be more generous. Because sometimes it's almost like, and again, I get it, you know, it, it there. it's almost like a game of gotcha. It's, it's very pleasurable to just hate the other side, too. You you think of sports, you know. Um, I I like my story. Your story reminds me of the one I tell that is the same thing. I have this um, very poor Mexican-American student who is super progressive who grew up in a trailer park, and he tells a similarly moving story about the people in the next trailer over who were so kind to his family, and they were, you know, very strong Trump supporters that, that other people would have called white supremacists, but what Gio said is, even though the words they use would to all my progressive friends sound horrible. And the things that they said at the level of just two human beings, they were the ones that protected us. They were the ones that said, we're going to be here for you. So, so I, I love that story.
1: So we are sitting in a place, you know what, Amy, I'm going to run out of time. Um, we are sitting in a place now to where um, you just said, I think the key, the language that they might use. We, we, almost speak a different language i don't know if you're familiar with jonathan height uh, um yeah. but we yes. we completely sp- agree with him yeah we speak a different language and i've learned this by going to all kinds of different churches and synagogues and mosques and and listening and i'm amazed that we agree i think on 95 of the stuff but we think we're farther away from each other Because of the language that each religion happens to use, and we don't understand it coming in, we're like, "Oh, okay, that's weird." No, it's exactly what you're saying, just said in a different way.
6: Exactly. But in here again, you know, I think that the the left and the right has to—they both have to improve. I have been quite harsh about the left, just all this vocabulary policing. Yes, the vocabulary changes all the time, and if you slip up a little bit. You know, then suddenly, aha, we caught you. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're racist. And yeah. that's not going to help anybody. But I think what that does is it makes some people on the right go too far in the other direction. They're like, you know what? We're sick of this political correctness. So we're going to say this. And then it makes them yes. purposely say incendiary things that yes. then do sound very terrible. So I, I think we have to just get out of the vicious cycle and just be more generous towards, I, I always say, just try to think about what they're what the person is really trying to say instead of fixating on the exact word. You know, where where are they coming from? Are they coming from a good place? Cuz I see so many people coming from a good place who suddenly just get torn down because they get the wrong they use the wrong word. And again, I think that's more like bullying.
1: Amy Chua, it is a thrill to talk to you. The name of the book is Political Tribes: Group Instinct and the Fate of Nations. She has not only diagnosed the problem, Uh, But she points to the cure. Amy, thanks so much.
6: So much for having me.
1: You bet. Can't believe she's a professor at Yale. How did she get on campus? (laughs) They find out. Don't let's keep this interview to ourselves. They find out she's gone. All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about Zip Recruiter. Every business needs great people. I mean, the people are what make your business. It's really nothing other than that. So you have to find the right person. And if, you know, you're like most employers, you know, you've got to fill it right now. There's got to be some better way than just posting your job online and praying for the right person to to see it. I mean, we learned from, you know, we learned from the uh, Second Amendment debate. (laughs) There's no use of praying for anything. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way. You can still pray, but they've also built a platform that finds the right job candidate for you. It learns what you're looking for. It identifies the people with the right experience, and then it invites them to apply to your job. And it's these it's these invitations that have changed everything. And now ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the right person. They the strongest applications that come in. ZipRecruiter is the way you find them. ZipRecruiter. Find the right person quickly. ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries, and they're going to help you find the right person. And you can post your job now on ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com/back. Make sure you include the slash back, and you'll be able to try it out for free. ZipRecruiter.com/back.
0: Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Can we see if we
1: can get her on for TV tonight? Because I want to talk to her about race and our race relations in America. Talking about Amy Chua. She is uh, the author of Political Tribes. We just had her on. She's she's She is right. I mean, yeah. I'm in the middle of, you know, we've been working, what, a year on a, a book? And we're just in the middle of it. Uh, and I wish I would have read her book before because I could have just, you know, said, you know, buy her book instead. Yeah, uh, yeah, or, or you could just take off the cover and put your face on it and yeah. then like
3: just sell it as like yours. Can we you know do that? I mean? Can we do she, it? I mean, if your maybe face she's is She's a professor it, she, of law, but what does she know? Yeah, I mean, it, she, it would take her <laughs> buying the book, opening it and realizing it's her. I mean, She'll she's never going to do that. She's going to see your yeah. face in the book and never look at it. That's exactly
1: like, right. right. Exactly and, we
3: sell right. Lots of, like, and just look, you just have to, maybe we just go through page by page and cross off her, her name, name. Or, and write yours in. <laughs> 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 I think that will work. you only sell tens of copies, so it, it's true. It's, it's a, uh, you know, it's it's. A, I like what she was talking about when it comes to seeing. It's not about gathering like a bunch of people who hate each other in a room and having them scream about politics. You don't get anywhere with that. But when you when you work with someone, when you do something normal, when you have normal human interactions had, with people you disagree with, we had dinner. Yeah,
1: we right. make America dinner yeah, again. Yeah. We, we'll we'll see if we have time to talk about this a little bit more. We uh, we have a fascinating story coming out of Katy, Texas. Uh, A man who says he was bullied by the school superintendent when he was a kid. Coming up.
2: Glenn Beck. Mercury.
0: Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn
1: Beck. I want to tell you why what's happening in the Middle East is something that we all need to care about, why it matters to you. Evangelical pastor Andrew Brunson was arrested 18 months ago and sent to a Turkish prison. He was charged with funding a terror organization. Okay. Um, He's a terrorist? Well, he was one of the, quote, terrorists and, quote, jailed in the aftermath of the 2016 failed coup d'etat. Journalists, academics, soldiers, teachers, and Christians ...were deemed terrorists. According to Brunson, his crime is in fact his faith, his belief in Christianity. He's lived in Turkey now for 23 years, and the Turkish government claims that he's involved uh, with the uh, Gulen movement. In reality, it's likely a power play by uh, the uh, Turkish president, uh, Erdogan, who is paranoid that the coup was orchestrated by the U.S. He's furious. He's also uh, uh, temper uh, tantrum-prone. And he's an authoritarian uh, leader. So regardless, the persecution of Christians in that region is subject um, uh, of, uh, of many conversations that we have here on the program. And also the subject of something that we are going to air soon, Faith Keepers. It's a documentary that we're going to be showing on Wednesday, April 18th. This is an amazing thing on, on what's happening over in the Middle East that most people are not talking about. They're not showing it to you. We'll have the documentary's producers on on the 18th and some of the collaborators on the uh, 19th, and it is eye opening. It is. It, it will, and in some ways, it makes you ashamed that you claim to be a Christian because of what real Christians are standing up against. It's chilling. But it is also inspiring Christians in the Middle East and, and North Africa and now increasingly in Europe face hardships uh, of the most depraved and terrifying kind for no other reason. But their faith or miraculously the uh, the lack or willingness to accept another faith faith keepers. It is a it's a metric for the growing persecution that Christians are confronted with every day, just not us. We talk about persecution, religious bigotry. Uh, last hour, I told you about Chick Fil A in New York. Yeah, that's religious bigotry, but not like what's happening around the world. It's crucial that we take notice every time something like the imprisonment of this pastor in Turkey takes place, because it is likely going to happen more and more often, more open and much more violently in the days to come.
2: It's Monday, April 16th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
1: So, a couple of weeks ago, some audio was brought to my attention uh, from uh, Pat, whose kid was in uh, KDISD, the uh, independent school district in Houston, Texas. And there is a um, uh, there's a school superintendent there who is kind of embroiled in a controversy now because a man came to the school district meeting and stood up and said, I want to talk about the bullying that is going on in schools right now. He called out the school superintendent at the end. I want you to hear the story. Listen.
7: My name is Greg Barrett. I graduated from KSD in 1983. I started in 1975 with Mr. Lance. My legal name is Greg Gay. I was bullied. Unbelievably bullied. I started out and I had teachers that bullied me. I had kids that bullied me. Even the coaches, I had nobody to turn to. One day at lunch, I had my head shoved in the urinal where it busted my lip. I had laid on the ground in a fetal position as the kids kicked me. I got up. I rinsed my face off. I walked out of the lunchroom, walked straight to the principal's office, and he told me, these kids will grow up someday. They won't always be like this. But yet, here I am, covered in urine from laying on the ground underneath the urinal. My lip was busted, and they sent me home. Well, I went home, and I got the 45 out of my father's drawer and put it in my mouth. Because at this point, I had nobody, nobody in the school system to help me. Is is that the way this is going to be? Lance, you were the one that shoved my head in the urinal. Wow.
1: Powerful, powerful moment. Now, Lance, the school district uh, superintendent, said, no, that's not true. I was not that guy. And thus the controversy. Uh, Greg Barrett, the guy you just heard speaking, is uh, joining us now from, from Houston. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm just fine, sir. Um that was a powerful um uh, testimony. Um and I uh, it's my understanding that that was not you were not going to out uh Lance uh, Hint when you first stood up. Can you tell us the Absolutely st- not. Can you tell us a story on how you got there?
8: Well, I was sitting there, I'd signed up and I was sitting in the audience waiting to speak
1: on on behalf of 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 sean dolan right yes can you explain that Sean
8: was in front of me Mm -hmm. and after he finished speaking lance you know basically embarrassed him and said your deceased son was not even in kisd which was true but his son that was being bullied was in kisd and he was being bullied because he had confided in his classmates about his brother dying of this disease. And so they were teasing him about it, and he was coming home crying. Well, Sean went up there to try to do something, and they denied that it was happening.
1: And so that, and so when he said, well, your dead son didn't even go to school, um, that kind of angered you.
8: Oh, absolutely. It it infuriated me. I couldn't believe I was watching this happen in front of my face. He was basically bullying him right in front of my face. And so then, you know, I was I was nervous. And then it turned to anger. And you know, so when I went up to the podium, I was I was angry. And then as I was telling my story, the emotions kind of took over because I was like reliving the story. And here he is sitting right in front of me, you know, five feet in front of me and he's smiling and I could see other board members smiling like it was a joke and it, and it just infuriated me. So I called him out at the end and, and, and walked away before I really got ugly.
1: I have to tell you, um, uh, we've watched it uh, over and over as a as a crew here, and we had the opposite. None of us were smiling. We were horrified um, by the by the story. Now he denies that you even went to school with him. Does he not?
8: Yes, he he denied uh, any any anything towards this whatsoever, and we've had. Multiple people come forward. Some of them I didn't even know. But one man, uh, Chris Dolan, who is not related to Sean Dolan, (laughs) came forward two years ago and invited me to a car show here in Katy out of the blue. And I went and he gave me a big hug and he said, I am sorry for the way that you were treated. And he said, I'm sorry I didn't stand up for you.
1: So he was not part of that um, urinal kicking down. No. But he didn't. No, he, he
8: came into the bathroom as I was walking out.
1: And he has lived with the cowardice, uh, his own cowardice, and that's what he was apologizing for? Yes. Can you tell me uh, – I mean, Greg, I, I, I there were, I, I'm I'm shocked that the the superintendent has not admitted this. Uh, you have a a, a district judge uh, in I think Louisiana, or is he? What is he? Uh, is it in Alabama? I think it's in Al- Alabama. And do you know him? No. And he has come out and said this is exactly who this guy was. He was a he was a bully. Who is Mark McCool, which I have to tell you is the opposite of your name. I mean, I, I would have paid to be McCool as my last name. But. I've told of that. I've told him <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> uh, so who is Mark McCool? Do you know him? I, I know him
8: through my sister because they were in the same grade. Okay. But I never knew this happened to him until... Just the other day, he travels. He drives an 18-wheeler. Okay. And so he just happened to be here and saw all of this and posted his story as well. And
1: what's his story?
8: Well, he was walking home from West Memorial Junior High, which was the same school I went to. And Lance and his buddy, which were in high school at the time, were down at the bayou and and when they when they walk home from school they have to walk across a pipe to cross the bayou so you don't have to walk through the mud and they were trying to walk across the pipe and they were yelling at him and holler at him hoping that they would fall off the pipe and when the Mark McCool and his friend got to the other side of the pipe they shot him the finger and ran well Lance and his buddy They chased them down, caught them, held them at knife point and made them go back to the bayou and roll all the way across the bayou in the mud to get to the other side.
1: One more story. There's also somebody that came uh, to uh, attention, I think from the reporting on Fox station, that there was charges that were filed against uh, the uh, superintendent when he was, I think, 18 years old. And um, uh, he apparently uh, was racing his car loudly down a street and some neighbor came out and said, knock it off. And he backed to stop the car, backed up and beat the guy into a five day coma. Um, Yes, uh, there were no for some reason there were no, uh, I guess, battery charges or the charges were dropped. uh, And so he's kind of denying this as well. But there seems to be. A pattern here on lance
8: yes and that was settled out of court uh for the man's
3: medical bills thirty thousand dollars of medical bills by the way yes uh, it, um, yep. I'm, I'm curious greg if if you had brought up this incident from your childhood with lance and lanson instead of blowing it off or, or smiling had responded. You know, I was a really bad kid. I did some really terrible things. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm taking bullying seriously now. And and you learned his lessons from those days uh, and tried to utilize them today. W- would your reaction have been different? W- what would you have taken from that?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely. I forgave him a long time ago. You know, uh, I forgave all of them for what they did long, many years ago. That was all water under the bridge until I saw Sean's post about his son and he needed somebody to come forward to bring attention to bullying and how it scars you for life. I mean, this is a scar I will carry forever. You know, these guys are forgiven, but it's a scar I'll always have. And and I don't want... This school district that my family has been in since 1898. 1898, my family has gone through this school system. And you can't imagine the amount of relatives that have gone through this school system. It would horrify me to see something like Parkland happen here. Uh,
1: Greg, we've had uh, people reach out and say that you're just a front that you've been hired or paid off to do these things to get at this superintendent because he has taken tough positions how do you respond to that
8: well I think that's hilarious because I'm the one that keeps saying he shouldn't lose his job watch every single news interview I have always said he is the person to fix this he went all the way through the system, junior high, high school, being a bully the entire way we know now. See, I didn't know all of this stuff about high school and all this other stuff. I had
1: no idea. Yeah.
8: But to me, he's the perfect person to fix this because he knows the loopholes.
1: I will tell he you. knows why he got away with it. I, I will tell you that uh, we talked about that on Friday when we were talking about you. We, we said the two of you should travel the country. If he would if he would have admitted and said, yeah, boy, I was a bad kid. And he, he, you two are the perfect story. I mean, you're the perfect story. Do you ever think of the, um, uh, principal that told you he won't always be like this and you're finding out now that, oh my gosh, maybe he is.
8: Yes. He has, I've, I've thought about that. And, and, but some of what that principal said was true because once we got into high school, I mean, there were a few kids, you know, that still called me "gay Greg" or whatever, and and but we had all matured, and you know, and I mean, it was kind of blown off. But I mean, still to this day, when I go to a restaurant, I don't give them my last name, Gay. Hmm. You know, I, I I say Happy. You know, it's it's kind of a running joke around here. You know, I mean you you give them a, your last name, gay at a restaurant, they say, gay party of four. Everybody stops and works. <laughs> um, yeah. uh,
1: Greg, thank you for sharing your, your story. And I, uh, I'm glad that I, I don't think that we're the, we're the people that, um, uh, that they were, we were when, when I was growing up as well, we're about the same age. And, um, thank you for sharing your story. And quite honestly, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that everybody finds their way to forgiveness uh and we can and and you and you all set a great example for the rest of the nation that people can change. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. So I want to talk to you about Bitcoin. You see in the news uh Stu um uh, that Bitcoin now, who, who was it that just said this? I just read this in one of the newsletters that I get from uh, from Palm Beach. I can't remember who it was. Said that cri- cryptocurrency now, it looks like it's here to stay. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's not a flash in the pan. Somebody who was notoriously against it. Uh, uh, George Soros pretty much did the same thing. He said, oh, that's a big bubble. It talked it down for a long time. And now it's just opened up, what, $26 billion fund? Uh, going towards cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And what's the price today?
3: Uh, it's been back up above over 8,000. Yeah. Uh, it's right around 8,000 right yeah. now.
1: So, anyway, Bitcoin. I, I don't know what the future is. I do know this. I do know that cryptocurrencies are a part of our future. I don't know how, but that's why I ask experts and uh we we actually were doing our homework for quite some time we found a guy out there who we thought was really really smart his name is tika Tawari. he's from the palm beach letter um Stu and i read his uh letter every day and and uh we're impressed on what this guy knows and you know when we first talked to him we said and said okay so so what do you think's coming you know what and he told us and um I, I went home and i told my wife and i said hey we should buy this cryptocurrency. I had no idea how to even buy it.
3: Yeah, no, it wasn't even it's not it wasn't available on one yeah. of the major it was, right. I, too much
1: too many too many hurdles to clear to buy it. This is why we've asked for a crypto master course by Tika. We asked him, "Could you put together a course that will teach you what cryptocurrency is, how to buy it, how to sell it?" Uh, And then you can take the advice on what to buy or what not to buy uh, yourself. You decide. I urge you to check this exclusive course out now. It is smartcryptocourse.com, smartcryptocourse.com.
0: Glenn Beck, Mercury. Glenn Beck
1: do you think of the James Comey interview, Stu?
3: Enthralled, Glenn, fully yeah.
1: enthralled, yeah. but I did watch it uh,
3: mm-hmm. yesterday, and um, now that we're on hour three towards the end of the show, and we haven't talked about it yet, it makes me feel like I've wasted my time completely. Well, I don't want to waste your time. Uh, <laughs> I want we,
1: we want to go over it, because there are a few clips that we need to play, um, and I've got a few things to say, as I'm sure you do. We'll uh, We'll do that when we come back.
2: Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to
1: the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the program. Let's spend a couple of minutes on uh, on uh, James Comey. ABC did a five hour interview with him. Five hours. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about a grilling? And here are the, the here are the highlights that we thought were worth uh, talking about. Let's let's play uh, first uh, Comey on Hillary.
9: Try to realize that I'm not trying to help a candidate or hurt a candidate, I'm trying to do the right thing. And you can come up with different conclusions, reasonable people would have chosen a different door for reasonable reasons, but it's just not fair to say we were doing it for some illegitimate reason.
4: But it, But at some level, wasn't the decision
7: to reveal influenced by your assumption that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and you're concerned that she wins. This comes out several weeks later, and then that's taken by her opponents to sign that she's an illegitimate president.
9: It must have been. I don't remember consciously thinking about that, but it must have been. Because I was operating in a world where (laughs) Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump. And so I'm sure that it it was a factor. Like I said, I don't remember spelling it out, but it had to have been. That that she's going to be elected president, and if I hide this from the American people, She'll be illegitimate the moment she's okay, elected. Stu, the moment this comes out, I, t- do you even begin to understand that? <laughs>
1: I mean, he he doesn't say it, and then Stephanopoulos gives him this scenario. You know, wouldn't you say it was this? Well, I don't recall that at all, but it must have been what? <laughs> right, that's I mean, a that, pretty big decision you made. What yeah, do you mean you I, don't remember?
3: I guess he's just saying it was a foregone conclusion at that point. Remember, this is the uh, this is the era right after. The Access Hollywood tape comes out. She goes to the biggest lead she's had in the entire campaign. And at that point, I mean, it did seem uh, that, uh, you know, Hillary was going to win. Uh, and so he's maybe he's trying to make the argument that subconsciously that's the that's the environment I'm in. So I'm sure it was a factor, but he never spelled it out specifically in his head. It's just a weird thing because he goes on at length at other parts of the interview talking about how politics was never a factor. He never considered it he never thought about politics he was just trying to do the right thing but he allows for the idea that the right thing was influenced by politics so it's a kind of a circuitous reasoning
1: in in some ways all right here is uh the um the the clip donald trump is unfit to be president
4: is donald trump unfit to be president
9: yes but not in the way I often hear people talk about it. I don't buy the stuff about him being mentally incompetent or early stages of dementia. He strikes me as a person of above-average intelligence who's tracking conversations and knows what's going on. I don't think he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president. A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville, who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insist the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States on moral grounds. And that's not a policy statement. Again, I don't care what your views are on guns or immigration or taxes. There's something more important than that that should unite all of us, and that is our president must embody respect and adhere to the values that are at the core of this country. The most important being truth. This president is not able to do that. Okay, I just want to... Morally unfit.
1: Morally unfit. And I don't want to play... Well, you guys did it too, but would Comey say that Clinton was morally unfit? Because... Did you hear what he said? He's got to treat women right. And he he lies all the time. He lies all the time. Bill Clinton? Clinton completely unfit by that standard. I mean, we'd all agree that Nixon was unfit. Mm -hmm. How about about LBJ? Who was... Oh my God. A a horrible, horrible racist... Mm -hmm horrible racist unfit who lie unfit mm-hmm. how about treat women and lies all the time how about jfk mm. how about fdr who had a mis- mistress on the side how about fdr who who lied about a lot of things uh, uh, how about fdr that you want to talk about a bad guy just scooping up the Japanese, even though his own administration said there is no threat from the Japanese, and puts him in an internment camp because he's a racist. How about Woodrow Wilson, who is constantly the fifth greatest president of all time? Surprised we ended up with Woodrow there. Yeah, I'm really stunned in your list. I mean, I'm just I'm morally unfit. <laughs> yes. I I wonder well, if he has if he would put others in that
3: in that category. It doesn't seem like he he mentions uh, a couple times talking about how he would single trump out as opposed to other presidents he served under or presidents from history um now that doesn't mean that everyone would come out in that in that way but he did signal trump out as worse a couple of times and and you kind of hear the Hmm. the the, that's saying something yeah like the you see both sides i mean it says something about him not about trump says he says something on both sides about comey too because there's two parts of this part one is let me give you two points one good for comey one bad for comey comey is i think you hear him throughout this give ground like mm-hmm. for example he says trump is an above average mm-hmm. uh, intelligence mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. he you know when he was talking there's another clip that everyone was playing about mob just he's like uh, he's not he's not a mobster he just demands loyalty like mobsters do he constantly was equivocating and giving ground mm-hmm. which to an average person remember of people don't sit around and think about these issues don't Mm -hmm. know Comey's background don't know him as a quote unquote Mm -hmm. grandstander just we'll see a clip of him and I think that helps him as far as credibility goes to the average person who doesn't follow this closely because he's willing to, to say things that I think uh, heard his case at times. Mm-hmm. He he went on at length about how, well, I wasn't sure if I handled something, you know, something right where he was talking about loyalty, a lo- the loyalty pledge conversation, which was reported that he kind of, uh, well, I, I'll be honest with you and that's it. He, Comey's actual quote was, I'll give you, uh, he agreed to giving him honest loyalty, which <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> exactly. Different than blind uh, loyalty. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, you know, loyalty is a is a weird thing in that you know it's easy to be loyal to someone when you completely agree with them and they're doing everything right. Mm-hmm. right? Like the loyalty, in a way, demands in tough times that you're staying with someone. Um, but honest loyalty, okay, it was a, it was a, as he put it, a compromise. But it was also something that where he's giving ground, and I think that might might connect with the with the average person watching it for the first time. On the other side of that, he has a problem that someone like Megyn Kelly also has, which is he. Hmm. Does not have a constituency. Nobody likes him. There's no one who actually likes James Comey. Mm-hmm. Even the Comey family, I don't think, because they showed a the- clip with his wife, who's a huge Hillary supporter. His family, his wife and daughters were marching in the women's march. Right, You think they're happy he released that uh, that letter mm. uh, 10 days before the election? Mm. I bet you know.
1: And they, I just saw a bunch of interviews with people from the FBI who are all mad at him, too.
3: Right. So you have, and now if you think about the normal, typical left-right divide in this country, and this happened with Megyn Kelly. Megyn Kelly was loved at, for a long time because by the right because she was on Fox and largely was taking the left to task on that show. Uh, and she was hated at the same time by the left. They didn't like her for a really long time. Then when she took on Trump, the right said, we don't like you and the left said, we love you. When she gets her own show and she's past that circumstance, what she has is neither side being passionately for her. And the same thing that happens with James Comey here is that I listen to a lot of coverage about this afterwards, kind of hear the reaction. And one of the things you notice is the left can't Universally bring themselves to say he's a good guy and doing the right thing because they're so pissed off about the letter 10 days before the election that they can't universally heap praise on him. He's useful to them now. And they will say all the things that he said in the interview were great, but I can't get past the idea that he did X, Y, and Z right before the election. And of course, the same thing with the Trump uh, side of the argument, who If you remember the 10 days between the letter and the election, he was universally praised by the right. Loved. There are quote after quote after quote after quote about how wonderful this guy was and how he was honest about Hillary Clinton. Now, he's a big enemy and everybody on the right doesn't like him. So no one on the right really likes him and no one on the left can bring themselves to praise him in a universal fashion so he doesn't even get the benefit of the partisan divide. And I think that is going to be, at the, in the end of the day, you can say that's the right thing to do, but it's not going to make him an effective person in this debate, I don't think. They're going to have to still get a lot more than this because in the, in the end, what he did was further clarify some details of what he already testified about. There's nothing in this book that we haven't already heard. There's nothing in this book that is new. And we are in a culture that needs new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people are... I've heard the criticism of Comey, which I think is somewhat fair, in that here he is, if this is such an important message, why are you bringing it to us in a book? We're going to mm-hmm. make a lot of money. I think it's a fair criticism. I do too. I But I too. but you have to take out the fact that if he really wanted to just get a payday, he should have somehow avoided testifying <laughs> and telling the story, all these stories beforehand. Yeah. Because these are all, all the stories from the book. And if you watched the interview yesterday... All the stories were stories you had already heard from his testimony, and all he is is adding a little bit of color, a little bit of detail from behind the scenes, but really not much more that's new.
1: So i want to see Bill Murray live
3: this weekend. Much more interested in that than James Gomey. Bill Murray, because this is... I've seen tickets. I wanted to go to this show. I went. Bill Murray live on stage. That sounds amazing. Yeah.
1: I liked it. Okay. It was, it was Mary's 30th birthday. So I took her out for a birthday to, to see that show. And we liked it. A lot of people walked out. It, it, it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. Really, truly is. I also saw the quiet place this weekend. Uh, A quiet place. A quiet place. Uh, and I want to talk to you about that as well. You're not going to ruin it for me, no, right? No, no, no. Because I no. want to see it. It no, looks not like not it's gonna. great. No, You're no. not going to tell me no. everything that happens throughout no, the entire film. No, I'm not. They all die at the end.
3: Anyway, um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about our uh, sponsor this half hour. It's uh, My Patriot Supply. FEMA is broken. We all know this. Hurricane wildfire seasons are uh, just a couple of weeks away. Yay! Throw a couple of earthquakes and a uh, maybe a hurricane, a tornado would be nice. Or a power grid collapse. Wouldn't that be great? Here's the best thing you can do. Prepare. And then you don't have to worry about any of that. This is the week to stock up on emergency food. This week, the Glenbeck special offer from my friends at My Patriot Supply. Buy one two-week emergency food kit and get another one free. Buy one, get one free. Purchase one two-week emergency food supply kit. And My Patriot Supply is going to send you the additional food kit. Two weeks. Free call 800-271-63 or you can order online at preparewithglenn.com. that's preparewithglenn.com. it includes food and meal that l- l- lasts up to 25 years in storage it's really really good it's easy to store it's easy just to grab and go in case there is a uh, uh a uh, you know a, a pro- uh, you know a problem in your area a wildfire or whatever it is Supplies of the buy one, get one free are limited, so do it now. Prepare for the worst and let it go. 800-200-7163 or Glenn.com.
0: Glenn Beck Mercury.
2: Glenn Beck.
1: So I went to see Bill Murray uh, and friends in concert. And, you know, I was smart enough to go online and look at what does a Bill Murray concert look like? Um, well, let me tell you, it looks like this. Imagine a school talent show with really unbelievable musicians. And Bill Murray shows up once in a while, like every, you know, maybe every, every half hour, like, you know, three minutes. And then there's just some kid reading poetry, and he's not that good at it. That's what that's like. <laughs> what? It's the most bizarre theater experience I've ever had in my life. So
3: is it like a variety show? Uh, no.
1: It, well, he's hosting. Kind of, it, mm, yeah. He. Well, no. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It is. It's. It's a. It's Bill Murray going. I'm almost seventy. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Right. Um, and it <laughs> is funny at times. Really funny. Um, but he just is reading disconnected poetry and play cuttings and doing songs and then singing, and he's not good, um, but he's singing seriously. Now, there's a couple of times where he's singing and it's intentionally bad, but it's no different than when he's not intentionally bad. Uh, And it's just bizarre. I mean, a lot of people walked out. Uh, this couple was sitting in front of me and they were like, I don't know, should we walk out? That'd be rude. And I'm like, you know, what's rude is you two sitting here talking about it all the time. Just get out. He doesn't care. Just get out. You already paid him. Yeah. You paid him. He doesn't care. He opens the show and he's like, okay, all right. The worst part is over, which was not true. The worst part was, is over. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you need to walk out, I understand we see it all the time. And so he admits it. He knows it. And I, I have to tell you, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed the, the courage that it took. I, 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 I thought he was exceptional in parts. He did a, he did, the, he, he read part of Huck Finn uh, when uh, I can't remember the name of the slave escapes, and Huck Finn is on the raft with him. And he reads this whole thing using the N word and everything. And he reads it really well. He plays all the characters, and it's really good.
3: Um, but that's, I mean, if you're telling me the hook here is that he read Huck
1: Finn well, that's not exactly a commercial for the show. No, it's, I don't know how to explain it, except <laughs> it's like a really weird talent show that it has no theme to it that I could find. What about the parts where he's not on the, on the stage? What's happening? Uh, the musicians are playing. He's on stage the whole time, but he just sits down in a chair and the musicians are playing and they are awesome, but they're classical. It's a, a violinist, cellist, and <laughs> a pianist. And they're playing stuff, and it's, I mean, it's, it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. I enjoyed it, but then again, I like weird things right i i, can I would see not recommend this to people who are just like you know what i have a good time let's go i loved caddyshack yeah like, no that's, that's not you not, you're not this no isn't the thing that's to do. not it okay that's not it because
3: i think from a strange i love who he is and that he just doesn't care about anything anymore that's what i liked and that's that's probably what i would yeah. get out of that it's just the, like the balls to go up there and just do oh, whatever yeah. you just feel do whatever like because he's he's beyond fu money yeah he's just an fu life at this yeah. point he yeah. just doesn't care yeah uh, which and, is kind of interesting.
1: And tomorrow, I have to tell you about the the Quiet Place. I saw the Quiet Place, a Quiet Place, a Quiet Place, and I saw Rampage over the weekend. I was busy. I, <laughs> yeah, I had a double feature with my son on Friday afternoon and a night out with my daughter on Saturday. But we'll give you those reviews tomorrow. But if you see Bill Murray, uh, if you you know you come into town, think about it. Watch it online first. <laughs> You Glenn, might enjoy it, or you might walk Mercury. out.